the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome, friends, to a very, very special new product associated with my radio show and my regular guest, Boris Epstein, who is so popular with you guys. <laughs> and because this is a year like no other, we've decided to give you something special. We're calling right. it Battle for 1600. Why? Well, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is a place that both of us know very well. You were special assistant to the president. That's right. I was deputy assistant to the president. Uh, fascinatingly, we didn't really overlap in terms of work in the White House, right. but we knew each other, but we got to know each other much, much better since uh, we left the administration. And we together came up with the realization that 2020 is special. It's different. Uh, my friend Boris is now a member of the uh, advisory board. The Trump 2020 advisory board. Trump That's 2020 right. advisory board. Regular guest on my show, America First. Uh, and we've decided that we're going to have regular additional podcasts. This might spin off into a standalone called Battle for 1600 because we are in a battle. Um, we're going to have additional guests join us every other time. I'm going to give you a way to suggest guests that you can send in to us. But first, Boris, for those who aren't familiar with um, your appearances on my show every week, and, and who the Boris is, or the Baron, as we call him. Uh, tell us a little bit about your story, sure. your family background, uh, your involvement in politics, and how you ended up at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Well, first of all, Seth, I'm extremely excited for this inaugural podcast, <laughs> inaugural podcast of the battle for 1600. We are in a battle, battle to keep President Trump at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the White House, for four more years, battle against far leftism, against socialism, against maybe communism. You don't know. And something you and I are both familiar with, sadly, from our backgrounds. And I'll talk to, talk uh, on that end in terms of my, my life. And, you know, we came here as Jewish refugees from the former Soviet Union in 1993. I was 11. No, I'm not a Russian spy to all of you triggered Dems. I was 11. And we were part of what's called a Jewish brain drain. My, my dad's an applied right. math PhD. We came over, and that's called, uh, you know, immigration that's merit-based. You know, and my, and my father since has contributed to building uh, the wireless system called 4G and then 5G. My mother started a successful business here in America. So we were part of that group of Jewish, uh, Jewish Russians who came over fleeing persecution. Because let me tell you, when socialism fell, hate reared its ugly head even more 
than it was there during Soviet Russia. That when the system so that was fell, more anti-Semitism openly. It was like, you know, the, the, the Soviet anti-Semitism was structural, right? Right. You had quotas of how many Jews could be in higher universities, higher places. It was of education. systematic. It was systematic. So, and that is horrible and absolutely terrible full stop. When the Soviet Union fell and there was a vacuum, the anti-Semitism took over almost more a day-to-day base nature, which in some ways is scarier. So it was released. The, it was, the, the, the animal was released. When The day before we left, my dad and I went to a store in Moscow. We're from Moscow. And we had to, we had to you know, exchange some of the leftover small bills we have. Just we were leaving, right? So we tried to buy whatever was at the store to use whatever uh, you know, Russian currency we had. And it was taking a little longer. And here in America, you know, I could look Italian or Greek or whatever. In Russia... My dad looks Jewish and I look Jewish. And believe you me, the people <laughs> in that line started saying things to us that, that are the worst you could imagine hearing as a Jewish person. Every epithet. You know, you hearing, you know, fill in the blank, why are you holding up the line? And that's what, that's what I experienced as an 11-year-old leaving the remnants of a socialist system. The heap left behind after a socialist system inevitably breaks down. So we came here at 11. I went to Brooklyn, New York, just like the usual immigrant can I, story. Can, I, can sure. I interrupt you there? Because people love this. You know, human beings love stories. I've written three books now, the national security base, they had to do with my time in the White House. But every opening chapter is about my family and what they experienced under fascism as children and then communism. And when I meet anybody who's ever read my books, the only thing they ever want to talk about is that chapter, personal that, that story. personal story. So whether it's my first book, Defeating Jihad, or Why We Fight, or my, my latest one, The War for America. So that's what really touches the other human being who reads that story. So I want to ask you, do you know why your father, why your parents as Russian Jews chose this country, chose America, Boris? Absolutely. It's the land of opportunity. It's the land of freedom. So they had faith that that is real. Correct. The land yeah. of opportunity isn't a myth, it's real. And and that faith has come true. So can you tell me, I just have to ask this, because my parents died mm-hmm. uh, 17 years ago. Your parents are alive, right? Oh, yeah. Thank so God. what do they think when you know, their son born in Russia to a minority that's persecuted around the world ends up walking around the White House, not as a tourist, but as an employee, a special assistant to the most powerful man in the world. Can, can you share? It's interesting that you asked that. I was talking to my dad this morning, actually. And, you know, I was telling him that I had the honor. I, had to, I got to go on Monday and spend a little time with the president ahead of the State of the Union. There's a picture I put on Twitter, a nice photo in the Oval Office. And, you know, I've had the honor in general of w- working for him on the campaign. Right. And then being the communication director for the inaugural, for his inaugural, and Mike Pence's inaugural. The, and then the White House. And then I've had the honor of staying in, in touch with the president. He's been nothing but uplifting and positive and loyal, as we've talked about. And I was talking to my dad about that this morning. You know what he said to me? He said, all it's now been you know, years since I first started, got involved with Donald Trump. Um, and, and had the honor of working for him. He said, you know, sometimes I still don't know if this is really us or I'm just dreaming it. Really? That's what my dad That's said. That's amazing. And it was very nice. That's it was amazing. A, it was a nice moment. I was telling him about, you know, an interaction and a story. And he goes, sometimes I really don't know if, I, if this is us or I'm just sort of living in some dream or parallel reality. So, you know, th- they are, th- you know, I, I'm honored by my parents' pride in me. Uh, and I'm sure your family your parents are sadly gone, but your family is very, and your loved ones are proud of you. 
you know, we have done something that very few get to do, but even fewer who weren't born here, weren't born in, into a certain level get to do. And we worked hard for right. it, and we've achieved it. And again, I think something that's very important, we both served in the White House and left. But unlike a lot of rats, we never turned our back on this president, never turned our back on the honor that we had to work there, and went and told some you know, stories. No that kiss he, and tell from us. No kiss and tell ever. I, had, I, I, and I know you don't either, never had any dirty laundry day air, period. No. But... But the idea that, for example, like some people who were our colleagues you wouldn't make it would up. lie about right. it, would make it up right. and say, oh, we have the tapes, oh, we're right. writing the book, despicable. For me, um, this isn't an excuse, this is really how I feel it. Like you, I have this massive parchment document at home signed by the president with the president's seal, and that is my commissioning letter. And as political appointees, we are technically politically commissioned officers of the president of the United States. For me, that is a two-way street in terms of it is the president entrusting to us the fact that we are allowed to serve him, that we have met the requirements to serve him. And for me, that's a a life debt. I'm never going to be able to pay that back. I will recognize the fact that the most intimate... Um, relationship in terms of work was initiated by a person who is the most powerful individual, not in America, right. but in the world. And as such, for me, I'll always be indebted. And, and I don't have any dirt, but but the fact is that's a, a relationship of honor for me. Exactly. And, and it's an honor with Donald Trump, the president of the United States. It's also a relationship with the presidency itself. Yes, the institution. Having had the honor of serving so, and you know we share that with a very but very small number of people historically right, right. in this country who had the honor of working for that office, but even smaller who've had the honor of working for this president and this I, president who's so powerful, so strong, so and loving, different and so because he's not a politician and, exactly. and let me be clear I, 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 this isn't a criticism on our fellow Americans, but I want our fellow Americans who were born here to understand getting to work. For the highest office in the land really doesn't happen in other countries if you're an immigrant. No. If you don't speak the right version of French, if you don't go to the, the, the right schools in France, if you don't you know, end up going to the right école, you will not work in the Elysee. Uh, in the UK, it used to be like that for a long time. The, the class structure is still there. But the fact that this is the country where immigrants like you and right. me can actually end up there, that is what America is about. And that's why my parents, you and your family, that's why we came, right? right? Why we came legally. Yes. Why Chose we, to be Americans. Why we followed a process. Right. Why we applied, why, why we waited, why we came. In my family, we came, it was me, my parents, and my grandparents. We had, in a small apartment in Brooklyn, it was the five of us. My grandma lived a few streets away. My mom's mom. My grand, my grandfather fought World War II against the Nazis for four years. My grandmother spent four years making bombs. Saw her cousin blow up in a bomb factory wow. as she was making bombs to to beat Fight back the Nazis. The Nazis. Right. Um, and he had the bombs that you know, thankfully killed a lot of Nazis. And my grandparents were in their late seventies when they came over. And I'll never forget the story. And it's a true sort of. You know, image that must of what, have been tough in the 70s. Of what America is. And you have these two people. My grandfather was a history professor after the war. My grandmother was a chemistry PhD. Wow. Very smart. Uh, you know, very smart, accomplished people. But they lived, 
you know, their life, my grandpa was born in 1915, my grandma was born in 1919. They lived from shtetls to cities to hunger to war. They've experienced it. But those last few years of the Soviet Union were terrible. Right. You go to the store, there was nothing. Right. My grandmother was making cheese at home. Right. We had nothing. You wait three hours for bread. So I'll never forget this. We came here. And we, you know, got in day, you know, on on on, on I think it was September eighth of nineteen ninety three. And the next day, you have to go and get your social security card. So we went to the social security office and we we got the card. And then, and then across the street there was a supermarket, you know, a giant or whatever, or wall bombs at the time. And we walked in. I'll never forget this. And it was packed with goods and the color thirty six flavors of yogurt. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. And my and my and my grandfather, who in nineteen ninety three was 78 or going to be 78 that year turned to my grandma and said mama can you believe all this i'll tell you my story okay when i realized how special america is you know they use the word superpower and usually it's oh nuclear weapons big armies that makes you a superpower you know when i realized that america is a hyperpower before i became an american i was um Honored to serve on a Pentagon program in Germany teaching counterterrorism after 9-11. I worked for an amazing legend in the Marine Corps called Nick Pratt. And um, we're in Bavaria, deepest, deepest Germany, next to the Austrian border, in Europe, on the continent. And we're on a base that belongs to the British, uh, to the American military. And um, Bavaria is the land of cows. I mean, it, it is farming and it's dairy production. I mean, it's Germany's breadbasket. And I go into the PX because there's an American base store. There's a supermarket for all the U.S. military. And I walk in there and I go to the fridge and I open the fridge and they've got gallon containers of American milk. And I go, whoa, that's a superpower. When you can fly your milk right. to your troops we'll have in Germany right. so they have their own milk from, from America, then I realized... This country is different. Okay, enough about um, our, our stories. Um, let's talk about... I like it, the stories. Stories are important, and that's how you, you connect, and, and that's how you know, talk radio, and you have your daily uh, briefings with, uh, with your Breakfast with Boris. Please check it out, breakfastwithboris.com every day. I'm actually moving to weekly. You are? For, for the election. He's just so busy, and we're starting Yeah, because I'm, you know, podcast, I, I, <laughs> I'm crunching your time. There's a, there's a lot going on in general, and I joined the advisory board. Right. So what I decided to do with the newsletter is go to breakfast, breakfastwithboris.com, sign up. You'll get it once a week on Wednesdays, but also- Like Rush Limbaugh's letter. I like that. Good idea. God like bless that. Rush. God, God bless, bless Rush. Rush. And what a mate, we'll talk about what happened Amazing. yesterday. And also you can follow Boris at Boris EP on Twitter. So we are recording our first inaugural- podcast, right. uh, video cast of Battle for 1600, where we used to work in the White House, uh, the day after the President's third uh, State of the Union address. These podcasts, I intend to be you know, as, as evergreen as we can be, because they are about you know, things that are crucial to our nation, eternal truths, why we fight, what we believe in. But let's, let's lock in time some of the things that uh, occurred yesterday. Um, I'm not going to use a lot of audio. Uh, I'm going to save a couple of things that I want your reaction to. But, but first, yesterday's State of the Union by President Trump was qualitatively different. Um, your response, Boris? Total home run. Absolute grand slam home run by the president. Came in there as a conquering winner. 
swaggered into the room. The you know whatever happened there with Nancy Pelosi, we let people fill in the blank. And in, in the beginning, you know whether the president decided not to shake her hand because she just pushed through the sham of an impeachment that she knows. Well, is he a didn't sham, see her hand, or he didn't see her hand, whichever doesn't matter. Right. The president of the United States delivered an address that was uplifting. It was emotional. It was move, moving. It was confident. It was positive. It was Reagan-esque in some ways, but inevitably, it was Trumpian. Mm-hmm. Here I am. Here's what I've done. Here's what I've done with the economy. Here's what I've done with national security. Here are the parents of a woman who was tortured and killed by that dog, al-Baghdadi. Right. And I annihilated him. Right. Here's the family of a, of a, a wife and a son of a brave, brave American who was killed by a bomb designed by Qasem Soleimani. Right. Well, guess what? I wiped him off the face of the earth, Donald Trump said. Here's a wife with the children right. of a soldier from Fort Bragg, multiple tours in Afghanistan, trying to survive, supporting other family right. members, waiting for her husband, and then what happens? And then he walks down. The, and the I, sergeant walks down the stairs. I cried. I, I shed oh. a tear. I did. Right. I, I couldn't. I couldn't. It was, that was such an emotional moment to see that. And we could all relate to that, right? right? We all missed our dads when we were young. Our kids miss us. and But, you know, I haven't served. I haven't had the honor to serve. So I can't quite relate to that. But it was, you know, we, we can empathize and sympathize in some ways. And and it was just so wonderful to see Rush getting honored, yes. you know. Uh, I know he's a bit of a divisive figure. Let's be honest. You know, the left hates Rush, you know. But we love Rush. Right. Because why Rush cuts to the truth. And he speaks the truth to power. And, and he stands been, up to bullies. And he's been doing it for a long time. And God bless him. God bless him. We wish him, you know, all the health in the world. And, you know, other moments, the moment of the business owner who, who had a drug problem and now is using opportunity zones, using this new policy put in by the president. But, you know, what really struck me, all these mo- moments were wonderful. And they were very Trump because it was, you know. I want to ask you it, first what that means, what Trumpian means. Because you have an insight, I have an insight. But before we go on. General McGee, Charles McGee. That was just, uh, with his great grandson, my, he wants to be in the space My first. colleague just told me here, I walked down the, the, the hall to SRN News, my colleague was reporting from the Capitol, and he was coming out of the little studio booth, and this little, this kid, this little kid was pushing a wheelchair with his great, with his grandfather in Great grandfather. And he didn't know who it was. And he said, hey, let me give you a hand. So my colleague oh, pushes this guy in, has no idea who it is. And then the, you know, the, the escorts turn up and everybody says, okay, we'll take control. We'll, we'll, we'll take it from here. That story, a hundred years old. Tuskegee Airmen. I think, I think my colleague told me a hundred years old on Pearl Harbor Day right. is his birthday. So. And then this kid who wants to become an officer in Space Force, and then the president, just hours beforehand, pins the star onto this Tuskegee Airman, veteran of World War II, of Korea, Vietnam, and makes him a brigadier general. And did you see how he snapped that salute multiple times? He I stood know. up and he snapped that like, like he'd walked off the base yesterday. You saw that young man shine through. Oh, my gosh. You did. You, you did. did. You saw the young man come and, through. And here I'm going to get political. Let the me, Democrats sat down. Hold on, but let me let me give you one last thing, please. You, that was disgusting, by the way. When right. the Democrats sat for General McGee, and we'll go right back to that. What all those moments were so moving, and Trump in a way in that they brought he brought it to life. He didn't just talk about these people; he brought Sergeant Williams right. home. Right. He. 
pinned the star yes. on the Brigadier General just hours before. First Lady Melania Trump wonderfully put the Medal of Freedom on right. Rush, on right Rush there. Limbaugh. Right, right there. there. He announced the scholarship for the, for for the, the nine-year-old g- for the g- young n- nine-year-old girl. black girl. It was wonderful. It was the, wonderful. The, her mother's face. I know. She was crying. And Democrats didn't stand for that. No. Either, by the way. It's disgusting. Disgusting. Choice. You can have, who, somebody said it today, a buddy of mine said it on radio, I think it was. Who was it? I think it was Mark Stein said, that they want choice for abortion, but to have your child go to the school you want to? No. no you're no, going to no. sit down for that. You, you don't get that choice. We decide. You, we decide because you have to keep paying the unions. Okay, right. you pay the right. unions. Teachers unions. Who, 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 right. who Not your child, us? the unions. So all those moments were just wonderful, and they were alive. That ending, though, I thought was so uplifting when he said that the American story is just the, big, just just the beginning. beginning. The American adventure is at its start. To paraphrase, that gave me shivers, and yeah. because I I feel that my American story is just beginning, your American story is just beginning, and as you look around, our children, as you look our children, right. as you look around America, it does feel to to use Reagan's phrase like it's morning in America. I knew yeah. this podcast was a good idea, you Bryce. <laughs> You're a great great guest. Um, let's let's stop here. Let's withdraw ourselves from the the moment from from the news cycle for a second, and I think. I don't know about you. You're you're on the road now. You're with the Trump campaign. You have this great career with with uh, broadcasting uh, as well. But we have a unique insight. Whenever I travel anywhere, and I do a lot of stuff for candidates, for GOP uh, organizations, for Trump supporters, the question I get everywhere is, "What's he really like?" Right? right? People always want to know what's the president like behind closed doors. Um, We've had the honor to, to work with him. I've been in the Oval Office, just the two of us with the president. Let's let's help define, because I think this is what we can do in terms of a significant contribution to America and to politics, to understand not just who he is, but his significance in the body politic. Because when 63 million Americans chose a non-politician, a non-former general to be their president. For the first time since the Revolutionary War, politics changed irrevocably. And it wasn't just, oh, it's his style from Brooklyn and it, or Queens, and it's his tweets. No, it's no. much, much bigger than that. So to you, who is Donald Trump? And rather, what what is Trumpism and what is being Trumpian? The first word that comes to mind, and I actually said this on the night of the inauguration in 2017 with Sean Hannity, our, our, our friend. He asked me, you know, what is the one reason you think Donald Trump won? And it's the same word I'll use now. It's authenticity. Yeah. Donald Trump is authentic to who he is. When we've each had the pleasure of spending a good amount of time with him alone. He is funny. He is positive. He is real. He is realistic, and he's very forthright about what, what he thinks is going on and what he sees is going on. And, and let me just, one little thing here. Whenever he sees you, and if he hasn't seen you for a while, he always asks your opinion. How do you think we're doing? Yeah, how do you think we're doing? How did I do last night? And the fascinating thing about this guy who's 73 years old, a billionaire, super successful, and now president, is he's not throwing it out there to show to look as if he cares, he wants to know your answer. He's actually listening. This isn't a protocol thing. He wants your opinion, which is stunning 
that a man with his power, his background, his success, wants to know a 49-year-old immigrant's opinion about his State of the Union address. Absolutely. Stunning. Or 37 year That's, that's, that's right. not Washington. We've that's had, not the swamp. We've had the honor of working with him. We, but let's be honest, we're staff. Right. But he doesn't treat us like staff. He treats people like us who are honored to be there and those who remain in his circle as equals. And, and he, he hates when you say Mr. President. He doesn't even like that. He, he doesn't like that. He is unbelievably down to earth, actually, for those you know, for those who are wondering. Right. And we use this during the He's a true blue-collar billionaire. Yeah. And if you look at the videos sometimes, you know, he'll be driving, he'll see a bunch of firemen and get out. And he loves that. Yeah. Because you have to remember, this is somebody who grew up in his business around construction. Right. right? He is as, if not more, comfortable around a group of blue-collar guys or just real guys like there's, us. There's this great story somebody told me when he's, in a fancy he's walking around Turnbury or one of his golf right. courses, and they've just finished it, and he's walking through the clubhouse, and he goes through the double doors, and he says, that hinge, why is it squeaking? Right. Can you fix that hinge? I mean, it's like, sorry, what? Yeah, I, I know how to fix it. I want you to fix it. This is your right. job. Let's get it done. It's results. I remember during the transition, remember he, had, he, he would have people come and visit him at Bedminster? Yeah. And and once we were t- talking about that, and you know what he started telling me about the door at Bedminster, <laughs> and about who constructed the door, the back. He knew right. all of it, right? Soup to nuts. The you first t- time I met him, summer of fifteen. This is just rolling, guys. We're just organic here. Uh, Corey Lewandowski. I'm teaching for the Marine Corps. I'm a professor in Quantico, and I get a call. Um, candidate Trump has got a debate, GOP debate, this fall on national security. We're looking for a potential advisor to advise on national security. Would you be interested, potential? I said, well, okay, let's meet. So I fly to New York, go to Trump Tower, meet the, pres- the future president, and we have this wide-ranging discussion on national security. You name it, from the Civil War to ISIS and nuclear right. weapons. We're, he just so interested. And then he starts telling me about his, build- his next building project right. and how much he got you know, 3,000 televisions for from Korea. The deal he struck. I mean, he's sharing with me this insight of, you know, this is how you do business. This is how you negotiate with the biggest TV company in the world. And it's so real, Boris. It's so real. And you know what else is, and you know, again, we're we're sort of freewheeling here, right? What else will never talk about? And I think that's important for this as we go forward in this podcast to tell Americans things that they wouldn't know otherwise. Yes. That are contrary to the BS right. that they're getting out there the in reality. most of the mainstream media. This is somebody who could talk to you for an hour about construction, yeah. could talk to you for an hour about Iran, could talk to you for an hour China. about China, right. could talk to you about the markets, right. knows about you know, the oil and gas production and the fluctuations of pricing and all of these people (laughs) who... Experts. Experts who love to put down the president. And we talked about this actually recently on your show. And we thought, oh, we're so smart. And Donald Trump and his supporters are His rubes. You know what? Good luck to them. And let them keep thinking that. Because we're taking that all the way to the back. You are in an episode of Star Trek right now, Boris Epstein. You're doing a Vulcan mind meld. Because I only chose one audio cut, two audio cuts for today. And one of them is that exact audio. (laughs) See, I knew I chose the right guy to do this with. Don Lemon with, quote unquote, Republican... Oh, yeah. Strategist Rick Wilson, who I don't think has been a Republican since the inauguration, at least since then. 
Um, talk- maybe the Bush inauguration. Maybe, maybe the Bush inauguration. Talking about who voted for Donald Trump. And right. I, I want to use this as our jumping off point to talk about 2020 and the battle for 1600. So let's play Don Lemon from CNN just about a week ago with a, an alleged GOP strategist who's really a never-Trumper called Rick Wilson. Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one and they're, oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. You, you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your math and your reading. Yeah, you're reading. You know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte. All those lines on the map. <laughs> Only them elitists know where Ukraine is. But by the way, but you know what? But, but it was Rick's fault. I blame Rick. Oh but, you know, but, but in all honesty, but all, blame you know what Rick. NPR should do? Why not? Sorry, hold on. You, wait, wait. Can yeah, I tell give you what, me a second. You know, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> that was good. So the next day, Don Lemon gave a non-apology apology, right. saying, oh, I, I didn't hear what my guest was saying, as he was laughing at it uncontrollably with his head on the desk. Banging his head on the banging desk. Banging his head on the desk. So uh, laughing at the, 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 uh, the uh, incredulous Rube Boomer demo. That was a moment where, where we peeked behind the curtain, isn't it? Where, where we saw what they really think about the kinds of people that built that door in that Trump club, the kind of people that built America, the rubes, the people who aren't members of their elite. And then yesterday, at the State of the Union, we saw it come out. When, when that nine-year-old girl's choice of school, right. the Tuskegee Airmen, and then afterwards, what does, what does Nancy Pelosi do to all of it? To all of it. She tore it all up. She tore it all up. Tore it all up. Um, look, we're biased, or at least we're, we're open about our political identity. We're honest about it. We're, we're honest about it. That's right, Boris. Something has changed, though, hasn't it, in American politics? That one of the two big parties shows such disdain for a man who has advanced stage four cancer just because he disagrees with them politically. Haven't we reached a different stage, Boris, in our politics? I was expecting some of them to be disrespectful toward Rush Limbaugh, and it's disgusting, but it was expected, sadly. To be disrespectful toward a 100-year-old Brigadier General Tuskegee Tuskegee Airmen, okay, let me spell it out. He's African American. Okay, yeah, right. This is somebody who fought in uh, the every significant war they were, before they were desegregated right. by Truman. Right. The first black fighter pilots. To, and and to sit there and ignore what he risked and what he gave for this country just because they're triggered by Donald Trump. You know what? That doesn't belong in America. I'm sorry. That does not belong in America. That is not American. That's not what, you know, Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar tweeted, this is what America looks like. No, it is not what America looks like. America does not look like sitting there and disrespecting 
a a man, a hero, a soldier, a fighter, a general, a, a great American. And for what? Because you don't like who the president is, and then t- and then doing the same thing with that girl. She got a scholarship. She's been waiting again. Single mother, freedom to advance education. One of the most important things you can give your child. The things that liberals are supposed to be all about, right? But not anymore. You know what? I'll tell you this. We used to have a Democratic Party in this country, mm-hmm. which you and I disagreed with, but was at least part of the mainstream. Ted, you know, and was a, patriotic. Ted Kennedy loved this country. You know, I, I think he did. I, I, his brother did. I know JFK did. You know, I don't I, know about Ted. I think I think I think Ted Kennedy, in in his own way, you know. You don't all, love your country well, if you talk to the Kremlin about taking down Ronald Reagan. With all his, I knew there'd be some things we disagree taking with. Taking down what? What'd you say? He negotiated with the Kremlin to try and take down Ronald Reagan. I know. Well, okay. JFK, I'll give you. I'll love this country. Fine. Hated communists. Love this country. I'll take serve J- this country in uniform. In uniform, right? I'll take JFK. Okay. I'll st- I st- Scoop we Jackson. Could, we could scoop. We could disagree, but I'll, you know, Tip O'Neill. How about that? Okay. Okay. Tip. O- there were Democrats who loved this country, and they but not anymore. They disagreed with, and and you know, Ted Kennedy had his awards, but in his good moments, we'll say he loved this country. Okay. <laughs> but not anymore. Now you have a woman who's leading the Democratic Party, Nancy Pelosi, who tears up an official document signed by the president. Which is actually that, a crime. Nothing's going to happen. But, right. but destroying a government document is a crime. Let's that, just be clear here. That has his signature on it. Yeah. It's a historic document. Right. And she tore it up. Why? What, what, she, because she disagrees with him on policy? I hope she doesn't disagree about the Tuskegee Airmen. I hope she doesn't disagree. What would, ha- what would happen if, if Newt Gingrich had torn up you know, if Obama, if Newt had been John the speaker. Bain, what about Boehner? Ba- Could you imagine if Boehner and- tore up a, a Obama speech? Wow. All right. CNN um, would be on fire. Oh, yeah. For days. For days. You know? And now just, oh, well, there was a lot of division. There was division. What division? The president. The division States- was the people sitting down, not clapping and cheering right. for, for General Charles McKee, for that nine-year-old girl who's getting choice, who's a member of for a minority. historically low unemployment for veterans. Did you know that? The president went, went, went down Women. The line. A record employment for women. And the women in white sat down. Stunning. Stunning. All right, well, you've, impressed, you've impressed me today. Because I, 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 I'm not guaranteeing anybody that Battle for 1600 is going to be me and Boris always agreeing. Because we don't always agree. But really, you knocked it out of the park today. Let, let's finish with a couple of audio cuts. We've got uh, incredible... Uh, somebody who follows me on Twitter sent me this video from C-SPAN, which is absolutely incredible. I sent it to my buddy who has the morning radio show in D.C., Chris Plant, and he used the whole thing, and I'm going to use it on my show today, but we clipped out one person who called C-SPAN on the Democrat line yesterday after Nancy Pelosi tore up that speech, and I want to play this audio. Have we got this audio? Let's play it. C-SPAN. I've been a Democrat for 70-something years. And what I've seen tonight of the Democrat Party, I am changing my mind. I mean, I'll probably still be a Democrat. But as far as I'm electing for a goddamn Democrat, never again. 
I am a Democrat as well, but no longer will I vote Democrat. I think it's outrageous that they sat there when all these good things are happening to our country and how much we love our country, and they looked like they hated our country. And Nancy Pelosi, the whole time she's sitting up there with a disgusting look on her face, it's outrageous. I will never vote Democrat again, and I'm sick of it. And my whole family feels the same way. My husband, my friends are sitting here, all former Democrats. We all voted for Hillary last time, and therefore never, ever will we ever vote Democrat again. You know, it's Never, always- right, ever vote Democrat again. I don't want us to get carried away in the moment because of how excited we are for the last three years and the president's speech and potentially another four years. But didn't didn't something happen yesterday? Didn't the Democrats commit political suicide? It's this continued marginalization of themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're making themselves smaller. Mm-hmm. And you're... We haven't even talked about the Iowa caucus dumpster fire. <laughs> right. They can't even run a caucus. Right. It does look like their most centrist candidate, if you could even call him that, which I don't agree with. He's not a centrist. Who? Joe Biden. Well, he was, but now he's, he's he'll sign on to anything. Right. Now, you know, he'll probably he'll probably sign the Communist Manifesto. Right, to get elected. <laughs> to get elected. You know, maybe he carries a picture of Karl Marx, you know, in his briefcase. But Maybe he, that's who Corn Pop is. Oh, maybe. maybe because he's old, right? It could be corn. And, and and also maybe that's that's who ran the caucus. That's who ran the <laughs> Iowa caucus. That's who messed vote, up. The vote act. early, vote often, yeah. right? So you know the the, the only quasi centrist candidate is is dropping like a rock. So they are going. The Democrats are going far to the left, and they're becoming the party of hate. But something happened because they've been the party of hate for three years. But yesterday they crossed a line, didn't they? I think, they? So. I think not applauding for record low unemployment for African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, women really? veterans, right. not applauding, not everyone applauding and standing for well, that the Tuskegee little black Airman, girl, the Tuskegee the, exactly. and, and even, you know, the moment, gosh, we even talked again, mentioned it again, the, the parents of Kayla, who was yeah. killed barbarically by, by al-Baghdadi, right. and, and the father had her picture, that, that broke my heart, and, and, and yeah, it's kind of an interesting coincidence, they said that that operation was called 0814, because it was her birthday. That's my birthday, actually, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, and, and we, I, I do believe in the cosmos. We all kind of have, we all share some sort of connectivity. There's no with one accidents. Another. There's no accidents. And, and God bless that woman and, and, and her memory and her parents. Yeah. Um, just th- that's what we are. That's what we as Republicans so, are. We respect those people. We honor them. And we fight for them. We haven't talked about this either. Not everyone stood for the killing of Qasem Soleimani. Right. Right. Qasem Soleimani is a dis- was a disgusting murderer who deserved every bit of annihilation Who's, he got. Who killed people whose family were in the I room know. last night. Whose widows, whose orphans were in the room because of what he did to American servicemen. And let me ask you a question. Yeah. See, we didn't rehearse any of this. I hope you, I hope you guys realize none of no, it. We don't have talking points. I've got my nothing. suitcase. <laughs> Not, you've got your suitcase. You're going off on, oh, for, for the campaign. What's let me the ask this question. Yeah. And, you know, again, you know, we're honest about our politics. But is it just me, or when you looked at the faces of most of those elected officials sitting in that room yesterday, you just saw uh, on the Democratic side, on the left, did you, was I the only one who saw a dishonesty in their faces? Just a, a, kind of almost a, a, a smirkiness? A, yeah, a, 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 I saw a play acting, right? right? That this is, this is something to be exploited. Because remember, what, what is the name of that event? 
It's State of the Union, right. which is all of us. But they weren't there to come together on things we can agree with. They were there to boo, to heckle, to sit down, to walk out halfway through like Rashida Tlaib, See to ya. be on their phone. Right. I mean, to have Nancy Pelosi. The, the, we have sound I'm going to use on the show today from the vice president sitting next to her. <laughs> Mike Pence said on an interview today, Nancy Pelosi was muttering the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. Like, like some, some homeless person under a bridge as she was shuffling the papers, chewing her gums. It was just bizarre. And here's one other point. This is a constitutionally mandated event. Yeah, you are required. The, it, the president is required. Correct. It doesn't have to be given in person. It can it's be written, given in writing, whatever. Right. But it's a constitutionally mandated right. process. So you're showing disrespect to the Constitution, to the constitution if you don't take it seriously. You don't have to clap at everything. You don't have to give a standing ovation. But this is a requirement of the republic that whether the president is a Democrat or a Republican, they account for the State of the Union. And you know who did take it seriously? Who? The president. Yeah. Oh. And you could say, from the moment he walked into that chamber to the moment he walked out, and let me, let me, he was let, let me let sink something out of the bank here. Um, the day before yesterday, and I'm not going to tell you how I know this, and this is a little bit disturbing for me because I, I've only seen it once in my time in the White House, the president was not in a good way. 48 hours ago, the president was... Interesting. ...was... He was not uh, at ease, okay? I've only ever seen him angry once, uh, and it had to do with the false accusations of, of Russian collusion when I was in the Oval with him by myself. It's the only time in my whole time in the White House I saw him angry. And, and, and I know that just the day before he gave the speech, he, he had disquiet in front of others. He showed a lack of being at ease. And despite that, and knowing that, knowing that the, the day we record this podcast is the vote in the Senate on whether or not he will be convicted under impeachment, that he gave that speech strong, stunning. I mean, just, he's a better man than I am. I, I, I wouldn't look at Nancy Pelosi, let right. alone shake her. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at her after she has called me a criminal again and again and again as the people who represent her party the squad the 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 the, the horsewomen of the democrat apocalypse say the the occupant of the white house oh they're so cool they they're so edgy they don't call him the president well, they know about occupants because they because they, <laughs> they know about occupation right, they right. know about occupation right. they 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 admire different systems let's right, put it that right. way so so it's interesting you say you know i was so i you know, I was in the White House on on Monday and and spent a little spent a good amount of time with the president. I will tell you this: in the time I was there, he seemed very confident. I'm not surprised someone else at a different time had a different perspective. But here's the president I've known from the beginning, and the president I know today. He knows what's right, yeah, and he fights for what's right, and he doesn't back down, and he doesn't back down, right. and he hasn't backed down through Russian collusion. He hasn't backed down through. Remember the recession that was coming. Uh, yeah, for months. How that? How that work? Where out? is that recession? Mm, the stock market's booming <laughs> from highs again. Right, and he is not back down from this absolutely false sham of an impeachment. And sadly, now Nadler is saying, Jerry saying they're going to call witnesses in the house again. You know what? If they want to impeach him again, they should go ahead because every time they impeach him, his approval rating goes up by ten percent. He he is more popular now. I'm going to talk about this today. He's more popular now than he has ever been. True. That's incredible. Absolutely. I mean, stunning. 
He this is this is the day of the vote in the Senate. And he on, on whether or not he will be removed from office, and he's more more popular with all Americans than he has ever been. Um, this last thing that you said is, is crucial for those who really want to know what they voted for and who this man is. And this isn't all going to be about the president, but I think a lot of people want to know this stuff. And we're going to talk about all kinds of things uh, as the weeks progress. It is what I would like our listeners and the the people who are happy with the last three years, to take away and internalize and perhaps replicate in their own behavior when it comes to the president is this crucial aspect. And it it, it links him with with many other people, such as Andrew Breitbart, uh, Rush Limbaugh, is this, when you're right, when, 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 when you know that you're doing the best thing for all Americans, and when you know that people are lying about you, lying about the state of the country, you never, ever back down. Never back down. And that is crucial to understanding the president. Never give up. I was there through the campaign, through the high moments and some of the low moments. Right. The moments where a lot of the Republicans in this swamp try to give up on him. Right. You know, after that tape Oh, they, they wanted to. The, the, the establishment GOP said, shut it down. We'll have somebody a else. A tape from over 10 years before then comes out. Right. The president acknowledges it, and we move on. But a lot of the GOP, oh, no. You know, and they, and they clutch their pearls. I was there for all those moments, and the president never wavered. He never gave up. And we've seen that in this presidency. Yeah. That is why he has annihilated Qasem Soleimani, yeah. annihilated ISIS, annihilated al-Baghdadi, and has brought this country to an era of economic prosperity and strength that we've never seen before. Moved Move the embassy Move to the Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Right. And, and I'll, I'll let this out of the bag now for those who haven't heard it before. When the president made the final decision to recognize Jerusalem and move our embassy of the then cabinet, only three people supported the president. Only three. Everybody else was afraid. One of them, and I promised the president when I left the White House, I'm never going to criticize a serving member of the cabinet. But now he's left, so I can say whatever I want which is true, one of them, whose reputation, his, his great propaganda nickname was Mad Dog, was such a scaredy little cat as opposed to a mad dog. He told the president, Mr. President, on the day, he said, he, they were in the, you know, in the principal's meeting, the NSC, all the cabinet members. He said to the president, Mr. President, don't move the embassy. Don't recognize Jerusalem because you will trigger World War III in the Middle East, and I don't have enough Marines to guard all our, all our embassies. That's Mad Dog Mattis, right. the great Marine. How, what does the president respond? He says, uh, you know what? I promised the American people in the campaign. I promised our closest friends, right. the only democracy in the Middle East, Israel, that I'm going to do this after 23 years of broken promises. We've said we're going to move the embassy 23 years ago. Every incumbent president has had to sign a waiver every six months for 46 occasions saying, sorry, guys, we're not doing this not year because we're a bunch no, of cowards. Yeah. 23 years of broken promises. And then last, he said, oh, you know why I'm doing it? The third reason, because it's the right thing there you go. to do. Boom. That's Donald Trump. And then what happened? Did uh, you see that World War III? I missed that. It's like the recession. I missed it. You missed right? it. Did you see? Oh, did you see all those Iranians who were all of a sudden up in arms against the U.S. for killing Qasem Soleimani? <laughs> no, I saw the opposite. Ripping down Soleimani's poster. Women right. on the streets of Tehran. This is stunning. Women. You know why? Ripping down Qasem Soleimani's poster. Because Donald Trump sends a message to the world. Yes. The democracy is not weak. Right. The democracy is strong. Right. And, and that's why our families came here. And to bring dictatorships, it all to bring it beautifully around, 
dictatorships are inherently weak. Of course. Whether it's the Chinese Communist Party in Hong Kong, whether it's the mullahs in Iran, whether it's the North Korean little hermit with his stupid haircut, they are inherently weak. And the message is, we stand by you. Because something inevitably happens. In China, it's the coronavirus now happening, right? That shows that a t- tyranny, a dictatorship, cannot deal with it. Cannot deal with it because they don't have the trust of their people, right? And they don't have the people truly bought into their system. Right. And Donald Trump says this: says if you're willing to stand up and fight for freedom and democracy, I am here for you. Yeah, and I am here to fight against terrorism. Not to sign a deal with Iran. Not to and, give and, them $150 billion. And give them, in reality, a true path to a nuclear weapon. Correct. I'm here to fight against Iran. I'm here to, to stand up against China. And I'm here to stand for America. And he said that last night again. Yeah. He said, I'm here to put America first. And you know, they say, no zealot like a convert. You know, so <laughs> we, we came here. We've seen what it's like somewhere else. You know the we, difference. We know the difference. Right. We know how beautiful America is and how disgusting it is. For people who enjoy its fruits to denigrate it. And I think a big part of what we'll be talking about here with you every week is look look at the difference. It's so stark. Yeah. Look at what Donald Trump and the Republican Party stands for. And has done. And has done and has achieved. Right. And what the Democrats want to do. And also, think about the empty platitudes they put out. Oh, Joe Biden says he's for the middle class. Well, what are you going to do that's better than what Donald Trump's actually done? Right. Nothing. Uh, can we keep this? I am I am jazz, brother. Me too, man. Can, can we keep this up no, every no week? No doubt. Okay, good. All right. So this is the Battle for sixteen hundred. It's going to be a new podcast. It's coming under my America First label. Then, if it really grows some legs, we're going to make it a standalone. We're going to inject guests along the way. If you have ideas, you know who the regulars are. I don't want to hear about the regulars. We can invite people like Jennifer Horn and all our buddies from the campaign in the White House. But if you are Thinking of other guests we should have here at the table with me and Baron Boris, text us, 703-869-1262. That's our text number on the America First radio program, 703-869-1262 for ideas. Um, And then we're just going to follow the events for the next 270-odd days until the election and recognize that we are in a war. It is a political economic, and spiritual war for the soul of our republic. And a couple of legal immigrants are going to walk you through (laughs) who the president is, what he represents, what you can do, what you can be a part of, and what you need to know that you won't hear anywhere else. Boris, uh, how can people find out more about you, follow you? Go at BorisCP. Follow me on Twitter. Go to www.breakfastwithboris.com to get my weekly briefing and it will also be coming up with special editions of that briefing when big news breaks around some of the big primaries, other events. Breakfast Inviting other legal immigrants onto that briefing that could help you. Exactly. Maybe. Uh, I'm Sebastian Gorka. Every Friday we close my radio show, America First, with a sound bite from our old boss. And it's going to be the sound off. It's going to be the signature uh, um, sound bite to close this special show every single time. This is the president with a very special message that he means most sincerely. And to those who would try to impose socialism on the United States, we again deliver a very simple message. America will never be a socialist country.